know that we have one more Sunday left in March, uh, but we're going to uh, kind of conclude our missions messages with this. And uh, the title of the message is going to be that God plans for your obedience. Uh, in other words, when God commands something, he provides us the means by which to obey that command. Uh, God doesn't set us up to fall. Uh, if he commands us to do something, he gives us the ability to obey him. It begins in verse 1, uh, Exodus chapter 35, verse 1. We'll read down to verse 5, and we'll read other verses through the chapter as we go through. Now, verse 1 says, And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together, and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord hath commanded that ye should do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you an holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. Ye shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which, which, which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold, silver, and brass. And then he lists uh, the other various things here. Now this, this is dealing with the taking up of the offering for the building of the tabernacle which will be the tent or the meeting place for God and his people. You know, the tabernacle is a type or a, a representation of Jesus Christ, God the Son, and what he did through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and what he continues to do in heaven for us now. It's, it's pretty meaty stuff. Uh, the children of Israel have, to this point, you know, they, have, they have seen the manifestations of God. I mean, they, they saw the ten plagues, each one of them attack on, on a false god of Egypt. Uh, they saw their own deliverance from slavery. Remember, they were brickmakers. And some old Egyptian writings have been found that say that the life of a brickmaker was the most miserable job that you could hold. It was, if you remember that Discovery Channel uh, uh, series, it was the original dirty job. It was a pathetic, hard life to live. Well, they saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the destruction of Pharaoh's army. Pillar of smoke by day, pillar of fire by night, uh, called the legs of God, as he walked with them. They saw the giving of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Uh, they, they went through the golden calf fiasco. Uh, but this is the first time in their lives that they will have a place, so to speak, to meet and to worship and to see their God. Now let's remember who these folks were. Uh, they're slaves. They're recently released slaves. Now people as property is a concept that is far removed from us, but really not, not too far. When I was born in the South to parents that were raised in the South, who were very much aware of the place held by forefathers of people who were now their neighbors. Uh, the prejudices still run very deep in the South on both sides. And, and while we rightly consider slavery as a, as a moral evil, God did acknowledge its existence. He gave strict rules governing the institution. And, and the slavery then was not like the slavery in our country or even the slavery in the New Testament era. Uh, there are, are, are great cultural and geographical differences we have to take into account. And yet to these slaves, God says that he wants an offering taken from them. 
He wants them to do something that is obviously beyond their capacity presently. Now, is God being hard-hearted? Is God being audacious? I mean, come on. They're wandering around the desert with the clothes on their back, barely making it, right? Uh, God has to supply their food and water. And if God doesn't keep his word, there's going to be two and a half million skeletons littering the desert floor. So that's, that's who these people were. Now, now, where are they? Again, they're in a wilderness. They're in a desert. Now, I'm not a rocket scientist, uh, but even I know that, that in a desert, there are not a lot of resources for life. Uh, my first desert experience, being raised in Alaska, we were on deputation, drove through Arizona, uh, saw those, 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 those stovepipe cactuses, you know, the, the ones that you used to see on the Roadrunner, and, 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 you know, I thought they were pretty cool. Uh, but even, even then, you know, you could see it's sparse. Things don't grow well. They don't grow easily. There's uh, a few animals, but they're hard to find. Um, you know, the Lord had to provide for them still the food and water, and he asks them, he commands them, all right, I want you to take up this offering so that this tabernacle, this meeting place can be built. And God wants something done, and he wants them to come up with the goods to do it. Uh, he asks them to do something that is, that is beyond their present resources, like, like, like asking us to reach the world for Christ. Seven plus billion people in the world. How in the world do we reach that many people with just us? This does indeed sound like the Lord is a little callous in his request. Now, where, where do they get the goods for this? Uh, look back at, ver- at the end of verse 5, and let's read down through the end of verse 9. We saw the gold and the silver and the brass in verse 5, but then verse 6 says, And the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the fine linen and the goat's hair and the ram's skins uh, dyed red and the badger's skins and chittim wood and oil for the light and spices for anointing oil and for the sweet incense and onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate. Um, How are they going to obey this? I mean, these, these, these former slaves wandering in a desert. Where's the stuff going to come from for this? The tabernacle is going to be one of the most detailed and complete representations of the Messiah in all of Scripture. It has to be done right. It has to be laid out to exact specifications. Uh, does God really expect these slaves, with the brick mud still wet between their toes, to come up with the resources to obey this command? Well, some things we'll learn as, as we go through here is, first of all, God uses circumstances to supply the needs of his people, and he empowers them to obey. So if God commands it, he will give you a way to obey it. When God gives you a command, as we've said, he will make sure that that, that is an obeyable command. And secondly, God supplies the needs and the empowerment before it's required. Uh, God knows what he's doing. It's no surprise to him. Thirdly, God always knows where the supply is going to come from. The supply always comes from him. He may use earthly means and ways to do it, but he controls the supply. The fourth thing we'll see is that God, uh, God doesn't have to tell you ahead of time where it's going to come from. Uh, and this, I think, is where most of us have the most trouble uh, we, we want details, and we want the hows and the whens and, 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 and the whys, but God often says, at least at this point, it's none of your business. You've got to trust me. 
You've got to let me work, let me reveal things in my time. See, this really isn't dealing with money necessarily. This is dealing with believing God, with, with trusting God. It's dealing with uh, God providing what he asks us to give back to him. You know, God asks for a lot of things. I mean, yes, he, he, he does, does deal with money. He also deals with material things. Uh, he deals with our ability, uh, with our effort, with our time, with our children, uh, with our parents, uh, with our mind, our will, our emotion, our faithfulness. And whatever it is that God is requiring of you, no matter how outlandish it seems, he knows exactly where it's going to come from. See, the Lord will often require things of us as a, as a test of faith, as a um, test of obedience, as a test of love. Uh, whatever the command or requirement, we must remember that he's not surprised. He's not caught off guard. Uh, so when he says, on your shoulders rests the responsibility to reach the world for Christ, that's not a surprise to him. He's not worried about that. He'll give us what we need in order to obey that command. So let's go through a few things here. If you look back in verse 4, you'll see that the reason for this command was God-ordained. Right? It was God-ordained. And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, and then he lists it off. This was God's idea. It wasn't Moses' idea. Uh, it wasn't the elders of the congregation of Israel's idea. It wasn't some committee appointed by Aaron. Uh, this was the Lord's plan. Okay? This was God's idea, God's plan. And a couple of things you need to remember here. Uh, first of all is make sure that what you, you know, do falls in with the plans of the Father. Don't ask God to join your plans. You join his. Now, God does give us a lot of latitude, but we need to be careful not to abuse it. Check your motives and check out what you're doing or getting involved in to make sure that it is actually ordained of God. Secondly, when you hear about or connect to something, uh, again, you know, it may be a good idea uh, of, of even a well-intentioned or well-meaning person, but good may not be best. Good can be a distraction. It can be a weight to slow us down, so make sure it's square with Scripture. Uh, what we see here is God asking for the offering for this tabernacle, uh, and God initiated this. It was his idea on purpose at this very time. The second thing I want you to notice is, is in verse 5, that the resources for the command were God-arranged. Now, the commandment was God-ordained. The resources were God-arranged. Verse 5 says, Take from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord. Now the lesson here is that when the Lord commands, again, he enables us to obey. He enables our obedience. Uh, he, he, he didn't forget that, that they were former slaves. All right, That hadn't slipped his mind. But neither did he forget that these people were in a desert. Okay, He, he, he understood that. But yet he didn't leave this stuff lying around on the ground for them to just pick up on their way. Now, at the beginning, when we went through you know, who these people were and, 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 and where they were, uh, 
I, I wanted to kind of set you up a little bit. I wanted to lure you into feeling sorry for our poor little slaves wandering around this great, big, terrible desert. Uh, I did that so that what we do next would leave a lasting impression next time you start to try to come up with excuses about not being able to give God what he wants from you or to give to God what he has given to you to give back to him. Now, in order to do this, we need to go back in time to get a different perspective. Uh, let's head back about 730 years or so. You need to go to Genesis chapter 15. All right? uh, leave something here in Exodus because we'll be coming back. But I, I, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, and then I want you to find verse 12. We'll start reading there. Genesis chapter 15. Make sure I'm in the right spot here. Verse 12. And it says, uh, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, this is God saying unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and be buried, buried in good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between, two, those, passed between those, those pieces. And the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. Now, this is about 730 years before uh, Exodus chapter 35. God makes this blood covenant with Abraham. Now, a blood covenant was a business contract at the expense of your life if you broke it. Uh, so God walks between the pieces of the animals. It's a one-sided blood covenant. Abraham doesn't walk through the pieces. So, 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 so God promises at the risk of his existence as God that he will keep this covenant, he will keep this contract, and that even includes verse 14. That says, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. That is part of this promise, this contract, this covenant here. Now I want you to go forward to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, I want you to find verse 16. Exodus chapter 3, find verse 16. All right, Exodus 3, verse 16. It says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together, and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And as I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt, unto the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, 
unto a land flowing with milk and honey, and they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt uh, come, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto them, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may, uh, may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. And I am sure, verse 19 says, that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. Verse 21 says, And I will give this people favor inside of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver, jewels of gold, raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Now understand this. As part of the judgment against Egypt, uh, God has set up for them to be spoiled by the departing slaves. As, as, as part of Egypt's judgment, uh, they, they, they left with this stuff. So, so part of God's judgment on Egypt was economic devastation. So these slaves aren't as destitute as one might have thought. Here, God is keeping a 730-year promise. Now, you need to remember that God always keeps his promises. Now, we need to go a little further. Go to Exodus chapter 12. We're getting a little closer to our time here. Uh, Exodus chapter 12. And then I want you to find verse 35. Exodus chapter 12, verse 35 and 36 and the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. Now, you may want to write that down a little later on. They get real, yeah, they don't do this very much, okay? But this time, they behaved themselves. They obeyed Moses, right? All right. Um, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor inside of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Now imagine this, God kept his word. Who would have thought that, right? Uh, the Israelites at this point, though, have no idea why they have this stuff. But they do have it. They don't know yet that God is going to ask for them to give some of it back to him. Now, he will, but they don't know it yet. So our desert-bound, just-released slaves aren't as empty-handed as we might have thought, right? God began, as far as man is concerned, 730 years before this offering was required, getting things ready for the Israelites to obey this command. Now, now we need to learn this, that, that God enables us to obey far in advance of when it's necessary to obey him. He provides the resources necessary for obedience. He provides the time that we need. He provides the energy and the effort we need. He provides the money, the material possessions. He even gives us the faith we need, the will, the mind, the emotions, whatever it is that God asks from you, he has already or he will in a timely manner give to you so you can obey him. This means that we're completely without excuse uh, for our disobedience. When we say, sorry, I don't have the money to obey God. I don't have the time to obey him. Sorry, I just don't have the energy 
to obey him. No, sorry, I can't give to missions. I can't tithe. No, no, I can't, I can't do this for the church. I can't do that. No, it's a lie. We're liars when we say that we don't have to give to God what God has given to us to give to him. We're liars when we say that we can't give this, we can't go and do that, uh, we can't take the gospel where it needs to go because if it's commanded by God, he enables us to obey him just as he has the Israelites. Now something else I want you to notice, number three, and you'll need to go back to Exodus 35 for this. The requirements for the command, they were God-directed, right? The commands were God-directed. All right. God wants our obedience to be a free will obedience, a because we want to obedience, a because we know we are blessed obedience, because we are thankful obedience. There's several verses I want you to look at here. Look at verse 5 where it says, Take from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart. All right. Look over at verse 21 where it says, they came everyone whose heart stirred him up and everyone, um, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. Look at verse 22. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted. Now drop down to verse 29. And the children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing. They obeyed because they wanted to obey they obey because they love their god and that's the motivation for us when we obey god we obey him because we love him we obey because yes we love being blessed he promises to bless us for our obedience and and and, and yet we obey because we love the results of obedience and that's okay god set it up that way but but god doesn't want us to obey him because he is twisting our arm he wants us to obey him because we want to, because we love him. Another thing we'll see, not only is it to be a free will obedience, but it's to be a family obedience. Uh, look in chapter 35, look back at verse 4, where it says, And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel. He was speaking to everyone. Look at verse 10. And every wise-hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord hath commanded. Now, we've seen verse 29 already, where it's every man and woman here. Uh, he, he wants the entire family involved. And men, we have to lead our families to obedience. We're, we're to be the initiators. We're to be the example setters. The family is to and should follow our lead. Uh, we are to give them something to follow, an example to follow. You know, the first institution that the Lord established was the family. Uh, his, 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 his priority hasn't changed. Serving the Lord, following the Lord, is to be a family affair. The family being the lowest societal denominator is the foundation of society. It's the foundation of culture. To change our city, to change Juno, we must start with the families. And, and it has to start with the fathers, with the men. Are we personally being obedient if we allow our families or do not lead our families to submit to the commands of God well no we're not passive leadership men that's not leadership giving as well as other spiritual mandates and disciplines needs to be done as a family 
Now, it's a free will offering. Um, I'm sorry, a, a, a free will obedience. It's a family obedience. It's also a faith obedience. God wants our obedience to be a faith obedience. It says in verse 10, And every wise-hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord hath commanded. You tell me, does it take faith to obey the Lord? Well, yeah. Now, you, you can't obey without faith. Uh, you, know, you, can, you can wing it. You can, you can you know, fake all of us out. Um, but to obey God in the eyes of God, it takes faith. It takes trust and belief that God is going to keep his word, that God is going to supply the means by which you can obey him. It takes faith to step out into the nothing and see that God is there to catch you like he said he would. Remember, James tells us that faith without works is dead faith. For it's a faith that is not manifested by obedience. That's not really faith at all. See, something we have to remember is that when God commands something, that commandment will be God-sized. It'll take faith to obey, and you will be unable to obey with, you know, without that faith, uh, but yet he'll give you the faith to allow you to obey. See, God is asking you to do really the impossible here. Uh, which is why we've stressed this all month long. Uh, God is asking you to reach the world for Christ. He, he is asking you to share the gospel, to get it everywhere that it needs to go. And your faith will have to be active. It'll have to be exercised. It'll have to be done if you're going to accomplish this God-sized thing that he has asked you to do. The awesome thing is that as you trust him, as he stretches your faith, it will be him through your obedience by faith that accomplishes the command. See, God puts us in a position whereby we must trust him in order to obey him. It then becomes a test of faith or trust that God will keep his word in regards to his promise to supply the resources necessary for our obedience. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We can't obey without faith. We, we can't please God without our obedience. And he knows that, that our frame is just dust. He knows, uh, again, what sin has done to us. So, so he gives us grace and mercy and even the gift of faith to trust him. We know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, so he supplies us the faith to trust. And then we obey. Something else you'll notice. It's a free will obedience, a family obedience, a faith obedience. It's also quite focused. It's a very focused obedience. We saw this before in verse 5 and 21 and 22 and verse 29. But it says, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Each of those other verses say the same thing. Uh, this, is, this offering was unto the Lord. And when they gave, they were giving to the Lord God Almighty. They understood that. They weren't given to the church, although, you know, the church does benefit from that. They weren't given to the pastor, although he'll benefit some too, right? 
the Israelites understood that the offering went to God himself. Now, it, 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 it went through Moses, it went through the elders, but it was to God. And, and when we do what Scripture commands us, we are obeying God. When we do what Scripture commands us the way Scripture commands us, then we are obeying God. And our focus must be here, right, on God himself, not on ourselves, not on others. While there, there must be accountability for where the money goes and how the materials are being used and, and how the time is spent and all of that, uh, you know, we give because we understand that it's commanded and that we're giving to God himself. We trust God with what he has told us to give to him. See, obedience is, is just that. It's obedience to him and to him alone. Now let's look at number four, which is actually in chapter 36. Uh, the results of the command uh, after they were obeyed were God glorifying. Uh, look in chapter 36, look at verse 5. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman bring any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make and too much. Now we, we see the ultimate goal here is for God to be glorified by our obedience. You know, all we do, everything we do, is to glorify God. You know, there were, there were two groups of people that were present that day. We know the people who were obedient. Uh, but we need to remember the people who could not obey. See, there were, there were the two groups of people. There were those who used God's provision for themselves, the golden calf people, you call them for lack of anything better, right? The ones locked into materialism, sensuality, uh, idolatry. You know, scripture says disobedience is as a sin of witchcraft, and it was virtual Satan worship for them to take what God had intended for him and use it for themselves or something else, or especially the worship of some false god. God, God was not pleased with them. See, they, they gave in to the worldly pleasure. They lost the chunk of provision for obedience that was given to them like it was given to everybody else. When it was time for them to obey, when it was time for them to give what needed to be given, they could not do it. God had provided for them to give to the building of the tabernacle just like everybody else, and they blew it because they essentially, if we put it in modern-day vernacular, they spent it on themselves instead of waiting to see what God had, had, had planned for it. See, there, there's the two kinds of people. And the ones that say, you know, I can't afford to tithe, much less give, because I have this, this boat payment, this, 
this computer payment, this car I didn't need payment, or this credit card bill because I can't control my online spending payment, or, or, or I don't have the time to read my Bible or to serve in a class or to help in this ministry or that because, well, I'm just too busy watching TV, or, or I spent too much time you know, fishing or gaming on the computer or talking on the phone, or, or I spent too much time doing this hobby or being involved in that club or this organization. You get the picture. God made the provision, and they used it on themselves. God gave it to them to give to him, and when the time came, they did not have it to give. Now, that that begs the question to be asked. What has God given you that you're blowing on yourself, that you're wasting, that could be being used to further the kingdom, to preach the gospel, to send missionaries out, to be used for God's glory? See, then the other group of people we know about, okay, they were the people who, who reserved God's provision for its intended purpose. They could obey, and they did obey, and they went to town on their obedience. Right? Uh, now, they may have had no clue why this stuff was given to them, but they didn't use it for themselves, so it was available when God called for it. It was available to glorify God. Now, how do you know? You know, what's to be used for God and what's not? How, how do we know, uh, uh, you know, when he provides something, if it's to be used for him or, or what? Well, it's very simple. The Lord doesn't tell us to live for ourselves. He doesn't tell us to live materialistically. He doesn't tell us to live sensually. He doesn't tell us to participate in idolatry. Nothing he gives us is to be used in that manner. Everything we, we receive from him is potential to be given back to him. Seeking God's kingdom first, making sure Christ rules your heart, making sure he rules your mind, making sure he rules your emotions. That's the way to make sure that what God has provided you gets used properly. It doesn't matter if it's money or time or effort or ability or material goods. Everything we have, everything we are, is to be used or done for the glory of God. Now, now the key ideas here, and, and with this we're wrapping up. God gave a command. God provided the means for obedience to the command. God's people, some of them anyways, obeyed the command. And then God was glorified. Now, we will glorify God with our obedience. We can be obedient when we use his provision for its intended purpose. Now, this is going to be God-sized. He's going to ask us things that scare us to death. And that is one of the ways we know that it does come from God. Because if it comes from us, it's going to be very safe, very small, very manageable. But when it comes from God, it is going to scare us. And, and, and it's going to be God-sized, and there's no way we're going to be able to do it on our own. It's going, to be, it's going to be beyond the reach of us to obey without the help of God. The things that God commands, God supplies. He'll not ask you to do what he will not enable you to do. He will not ask you to give what he will not supply for you to give. 
And that shows us that God is a loving, powerful, and gracious God to serve. He's not a cruel taskmaster asking us some unreasonable service. He's not some stingy miser that won't supply what we need in order to get the job done. He's, he's, he's not some abusive manager that's got a clipboard in one hand and a stopwatch in the other uh, waiting for us to, to make some mistakes so he can fire us. He's a God that, that loves his children. A father who provides for his heirs. And yes, in reaching the world for Christ, he has given us a tremendously heavy large responsibility but yet he gives to us so that we can glorify him by giving back to him in in a content obedience see what god asks from us he supplies to us how do we reach seven plus billion people with the gospel of jesus christ i don't know what does god want to do I have so little, yet God can multiply it, and he can get the job done by our obedience. So how will you use what God has given you? How will you use it to get the gospel preached? How will you use it to expand the kingdom of God in a lost and dying world? Remember, it, it may be for your benefit, but it is chiefly to be used for God's glory. And when we think about giving to missions, when we think about reaching the lost, uh, when we think about that responsibility weighing on our shoulders, yes, it is, a, it is a burdensome responsibility, but God is walking with us to carry that burden with us. He's provided the means already. We just need to trust him and obey him. Trust and obey. Somebody should write a song about that, right? trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey God will be glorified and the command will be obeyed bow with me in prayer Father we thank you again for this time in your word we pray Father that you would work it down into our heart and mind Pray, Father, that we would be brave in our obedience. Pray that we would be trusting you. Though, Lord, the, uh, the command, the endeavor will be huge. It'll be frightening in our own power. But yet, Father, by obedience to you, you'll be glorified. You'll give us the ability to obey. And your work will be done. And it'll be miraculous because it'll be you simply using us in your hands. So, Father, we thank you for the promise of your presence. We thank you for the promise of your provision. And, Father, we thank you for the promise of faith to trust you in order to obey. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for attending this morning. Uh, you can give me some input. Let me know if there's anything that I can do that uh, would kind of sharpen this up a little bit. And we'll appreciate hearing from you. Stay safe. Love your neighbors. Pray for your church family.
Ugh. <sighs>